It's the Inspiring Voice Podcast from iVoice Communication, and I'm Donna Rastigian Mack. How you doing today? You know, with all the noise in the world, are you able to hear your own inspiring voice? Are you able to use your voice to create healthy human connections so you can excel in business and in life? This is what we do at iVoice Communication, a company that creates courageous speakers and successful interpersonal communicators. On the podcast today, we get to hear from a woman who taught at Stanford University's School of Business for 17 years, Dr. Carol Robin. Now, Carol didn't teach a business course, but instead an elective that was extremely challenging to get into. Stanford called it interpersonal dynamics. MBA students called it touchy-feely because they learned the incredible value of human-to-human connection and the feelings that come along with generating them. Dr. Carol Robbins spends most of her time these days working with leaders in Silicon Valley. That's where she gets to continue this work and share her gifts. Gifts like teaching us the importance of authenticity and disclosure, learning the vocabulary of feelings, and remembering that what you say isn't always what people hear. It's all coming up. So now the Inspiring Voice podcast with the author of Connect, Building Exceptional Relationships with Family, Friends, and Colleagues, Dr. Carol Robin. The power of the course Mm. is precisely that the students learn about how to be more interpersonally effective and how to build these relationships with each other. Not not because I'm such a phenomenal lecturer or teacher, but because we put them in these small groups where they have to interact with each other and they have to learn, you know, what is it that I did that drew you closer and distanced you? What is it that I that I said that made you want to lean in and get to know me better and made you decide if I'm running, (laughs) Uh, you know, and and it's it's in that it's in that interaction. Every interaction with another human being is an opportunity to learn. But most of the time, we don't realize that, and we don't mind the experience for learning. So what the class does is it teaches you, it shows you how to mine all your interactions for learning about yourself, about the other person, about relationships, and about building relationships. And you know, you might say, well, what's a class like Touchy Feely doing at Stanford Business School? And furthermore, like one of the most famous business schools in the world, well, that's because people do business with people. Yes. They don't do business with ideas or machines or products or right. strategies uh, or money. I mean, that helps, but boy, better get the people part right. David retired and I went off to start to co-found a nonprofit called Leaders in Tech. Wonderful. Bringing everything I used to teach at Stanford. Well, not everything, but little some of the highlights to CEOs, founders in uh, in Silicon Valley in technology. Okay, so Silicon Valley isn't that interesting? And the first thing that comes to mind for me is, ooh, those left-brained, brilliant, analytical, exactly introverts. Right, yes. many of yes. them. You are absolutely and right. Speaking and, and communicating doesn't come as easily and naturally. No. Right. And what I what I really appreciate about them is how much they know, how much they recognize how important it is 
for them to develop this part themselves Mm. Um, and how committed they are to creating really healthier cultures for their companies by by recognizing the importance of the people stuff, frankly. Uh, Now, to your point earlier about how you don't really learn this about when when Penguin Random House came to David and, and me and said, hey, how come there's this class that's changed thousands of students' lives for decades and there's no book? And we said, because you don't learn about this by reading about it. You actually have to do it. And they said, so how are you okay having the only people who get to learn this be those that are lucky enough and privileged enough to go to the Stanford Graduate School of Business? That's when David and I said, I guess we're going to have to write a book. Uh, (laughs) And and that what took us the longest, frankly, I mean, first was trying to take, you know, we have 70 combined years of experience trying to... Mm -hmm condense that into a book rather than an encyclopedia was already challenging. But the other part was we didn't want to write an academic book. And we spent the most time on those la- that last bit of every chapter that's called deepen your learning right. with suggestions on things for you to go do. Mm-hmm. And then questions for you to ask yourself after you've done, which is the only way to somewhat try to parallel the experience the students have. Right. You learn a concept like, oh, it's important for me to allow myself to be better known instead of spinning my image. Right. Yeah. And take it out into the real world. And right. Go in the beginning. Quiet. Yes, absolutely. You mentioned like think of four or five, six people you might struggle speaking and communicating with. And I also like in the beginning how you mentioned the antennae, how important yeah. it is for us to have two antennae, right? One directed to ourselves, right? Who am I as a communicator, as a leader? What comes easily and naturally? What doesn't come easily and naturally? And who who are they? And I'm just thinking like, this is like multitasking at its finest, which we know is not easy work. Keeping an eye on yourself, who are you and what do you need to be influential? And who are they so you can create that healthy human connection? Absolutely. And this is where I think mindfulness and a mindfulness practice really helps Mm -hmm. because it's not just who am I, it's also what am I feeling Mm -hmm. right here right now with you and that's why it's called touchy feely emphasis on the feely not the touchy (laughs) Um, and uh and that's what the students discover is the world of feelings which we've been socialized to suppress especially in business yes um at, at a cost frankly we can't be known we certainly it's much harder to connect with somebody else if feelings are off the table uh, because they're always there. Just because you're not talking about them doesn't mean they're not there. So aren't you better off learning how to talk about them in ways that are productive and that actually create connection? And, and the one, antennae, yes. bit, again, is what am I feeling and how might I convey that to you if I want to be more known by you? But also, how might I pick up what might be going on for you? You're and, sensing it. You're and feeling invite, it. Mm-hmm. And invite you to share what you're feeling with me. That's where real connection happens. I'm wondering when you first meet your MBA students or when you when you did meet them, um, if you had to break some old antiquated, I call them old antiquated communication habits, yeah. you know, like the way they were raised. They weren't taught to zero in and to attune themselves to how they are feeling. I know many of the people I work with, they were really taught to 
suppress their feelings. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what I, uh, the way I frame it is they have to, they have to update what are now outdated mental models, Mm -hmm. beliefs and assumptions about what's effective and what works mental models about leadership, mental models about relation, mental models about relationships. So one mental model is if, if I am vulnerable and I don't show up as on top of everything and I know everything and I never make mistakes, that's a mental model of leadership yes. that is mm-hmm. pretty outdated because one, one basis of power for leaders is what we call referent power, which means you're somebody that other people would like to be more like yes. they see as a reference figure, right? So, you know, if I show up invulnerable, first of all, you're less likely to be vulnerable with me, especially if you're in a lower power position and I'm the boss. So if I never admit a mistake, are you ever going to admit a mistake? Right. And wow, how is that going to help us? Um, so they have to overcome mental models about disclosure, about vulnerability, and obviously those are related about feedback and fundamentally about expressing feelings. And, you know, I used to say to them, how do you inspire anybody in the absence of feelings? You think leadership has got something to do with inspiring others and motivating others? Well, how do you do that if you never go near any feelings? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, and, you know, and I, and I used to share, I mean, I've had six different careers, so I'm not a career academic. And I and I was and that helped me share stories of what happened when before I realized the importance of feelings uh, in being a better leader, actually. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. and especially as having been hired as the first woman in a non-clerical job as a sales engineer in 1975. And boy, if there was one thing I was taught, like right out of the shoot was no place for feelings. Leave them in the parking lot. <sighs> And, you know, that was fine. And it served me. Ten years later, though, I'd gotten promoted and promoted. I was now running a $10 million, a $50 million region. And I had a mm. bunch of people who worked for people. You know, I was the, the manager of this 13. You were region. in a leadership position. Absolutely. And mm. I was at an offsite with, at the time, still my guys. I finally changed that, but not at the time of, that this happened. And I, and, you know, I, I got a little excited about something I thought we could do. And I was getting crickets and I got a little more excited crickets. I was like, come on, you guys, this could be so cool. And one of them leaned in and said, Carol, is that like water in the corner of your eye? And he said, <laughs> then he said are you going to cry? And then he said, oh my God, are you human after all? <sighs> and then I burst out crying. Yes. And I burst out crying and I said, you don't think I'm effing human? I used the full expletive uh-huh. in the circumstance. I don't know your audience. I don't want to offend anybody. It's fine. It's but fine. I said, you don't think I'm human? I don't think there's anything more important for us to talk about than that. I tore up our agenda. We spent the next two days talking about who we were, why we were there, expressing lots of feelings. Mm-hmm. To this day, I believe that was the day I became a leader. That was the day we became a team. And those guys, to this day, I believe, would follow me anywhere. You know, tear in the corner of your eye and 
goosebumps down my right arm right now. Uh, you said the word vulnerability, right? That seems to be like the buzzword or has been for the yeah. past few years. Yeah. Brene Brown, as we all Brene. know. Yeah. And yeah. I have decided to actually replace that word because I used to say, you know, let's, um, let's take some time and we will assess your strengths, right? What comes easily and naturally and your vulnerabilities. And I decided to replace that word with humanness. Oh, right. Nice. Instead yeah. of your vulnerabilities, where you're human, you know, things that don't come quite as easily and naturally. And it just seems to take pressure off of people. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm human, too. Yeah. Notice an embedded model about, by the way, your humanness is also your strength. Yes. Thank so you. it's not strengths and vulnerability or humanness. It's all part and parcel of being a person that has some things you're really good at mm -hmm. and some things you could be better at. Right, right. And and by the way, owning all of those mm -hmm. is both being human and being vulnerable because some people have just as much trouble owning what they're good at and feel even more vulnerable. Expressing Isn't that, that the truth? Right, right. Knowing and owning and then being, right? Exactly. Exactly. And isn't that the authentic self? I mean, yeah. to get to that, I guess we never really get there totally and completely. You do your best yeah. to be as authentic as you can be. And I, I, I'm going to guess that you agree it has to start from the inside out. It has to, if you want to be a strong, confident, comfortable communicator who's able yeah. to have those hard, honest conversations yeah. with others, you have to be able to have those hard, honest conversations. And you mentioned mindfulness, right? With yourself first. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and they are complementary, meaning that, you know, one of the things that I think is so, such a profound experience for the Stanford MBA students and now my leaders in tech felt, you know, participants is that because they've kept parts of themselves hidden for fear of what would happen if they allowed that part of themselves to be known, they have no reality checks. So for example, they think the fact that they had this one thing that they did that was a terrible failure would make them appear weaker or you'd be, or less credible. And then it turns out that when they actually share that, other people find them to be stronger and more courageous. Yes. But until you, but they've only been telling themselves the story of the failure. And, you know, in the old days, by the way, really old days, because I'm old enough to know, venture capitalists in the Valley only funded founders who had failed at least once because of all the learning that there is to be had from a failure. Then, mm -hmm. you know, but, and the more we spin our image, the more the, the real us is not who others see. Then the more tracked we are. Oh, now I got to show up the way I presented. Now I can never really know you, let you know me because you, you appear to like my spun image. And then boy, talk about loneliness. Yes. And talk about feeling disconnected. So, and yet that's just the pervasive interaction modality that I see just way too often. And the more successful people are, and I don't know how we even define that word, 
the more likely they are to be trapped by that mental model. Well, and I'm thinking as you're speaking, Carol, how is the other person supposed to know that human if he or she doesn't even know themselves? Right. Right? Right. And I think where you're, you know, at least what that reminds me of is that vulnerability and disclosure are reciprocal. If I tell you a little bit more about me, you're more likely to tell me a little bit about you. Mm -hmm. And in telling me a little bit more about you, you might get to know yourself a little bit better. Mm. So that's the other beauty of some of the models in the book. Um, One of the reasons that the feedback model is so powerful is that in the process, so first of all, feedback says as much about a giver as the receiver. Right. And if you learn to give feedback in the way we talk about it, then you actually have to include the impact of the other person's behavior on you. When you arrived late three times in a row, I felt worried. Mm -hmm. I felt unimportant. I felt disappointed. So first, you've actually got to figure out what is, you know, what what am I feeling? Identify your feelings. Mm -hmm. Instead, we tend to say, uh, I feel that you don't care. Well, first of all, there's not a feeling word in there. And second of all, nothing like making an attribution like that to make somebody else defensive. Right. You don't care. That's all they're hearing. Just Mm -hmm. because you put the, I feel that in front of it, it Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So there's a discipline to actually accessing what you're feeling Mm -hmm. and and speaking about the behavior and your feelings. Furthermore, I think that, you know, I used to think the class should have been called interpersonal mindfulness. Because to your point, like constantly accessing how am I feeling Mm -hmm. and inviting you to access how you're feeling and and having having the conversation include that just makes it that much richer. And then we we just know that much more. I'm wondering as as people started the class or as people are currently starting your program, are you finding that you need to give them the basics, the basics of like EQ, self-awareness, right? Self-awareness and self-regulation. That's what you're providing people in the beginning? Yes. And um, back to what we talked about earlier, they learn that experientially. Oh, wow. I just got really spun up when so-and-so said such and such. Mm -hmm. Hmm. What am I learning from that about me? And what does that suggest for what I might want to be watching out for? Right. So it's one thing to read about self-awareness and Mm self-regulation. It's a good thing to know, but it's another thing. One of the, one of the beauties of these groups is that People are talking to each other. One of them triggers the other person. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, something happens. Other people are like, I don't understand what you're getting all worked up about. And then as they start to unpack it, then all the players understand that there was a whole lot more under the water level. What the class does or the course does that I think is helps codify the learning is obviously gives them theory and models to hang their experience on. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, oh yeah, I know what was happening. There. I missed that step, right? <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was projection. It was actually, I was seeing my brother who pisses me off, not you, right? I mean, one of the most basic things we have to teach them from the beginning is the vocabulary feelings. I mean, how 
crazy is it that we had to develop as part of the syllabus a vocabulary of feelings? It's in the syllabus. It's in the appendix of the book. Because most of the time when you tell people, start with a feeling. I feel, insert feeling word. Uh, uh, I feel that this won't matter. Not a feeling. Right, right. Okay, what's the feeling? Uh, uh, right? Hurt, rejected, because they're not used to speaking like that. The exactly. simplest, I feel sad. Yes. I feel I discounted. feel irritated. Absolutely. I feel disappointed. Mm -hmm. I feel disillusioned. I mean, there's a whole vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And so my, you know, what I used to love at Stanford when I used to teach there was that you could always tell the students that were in the course that quarter because they walked around with their laminated vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> Mild intensity, moderate intensity, high intensity, lots of categories. It's like, uh, I'm not feeling really stirred up, but right now I'm feeling, oh yeah, here it is, uncertain. Right. This is so wonderful because I actually have friends who have a nonprofit organization not far from where I am in the Boston area, yeah. and they're creating something very similar, a little simpler for young kids, for disadva disadvantaged children. Oh, yeah. And when you think of how valuable it will be for them to learn these feelings when they're like 7 to 11, Absolutely. As opposed Absolutely. to, you know, 47 to 51 or. If I had to do it over again, that's, that's where I would start. Yeah. Because I have to back to what we were saying earlier. So, my, so many of my students and now my participants have to be broken of, oh, that's not the right word. They have to be de-socialized. They've been yeah. socialized in ways that are so unhelpful that first we have to break down their mental models and their beliefs and have them at the very least test their utility because they might've been useful at one time, but boy, did they cease to be useful. Just like my never showing any emotion in my first job, it, it served me early. If I'd mm -hmm. broken, if I'd burst into tears two weeks into, two months into the job, I probably would have never gotten to where I got. But you know, a cat never sits on a hot stove twice. It never sits on a cold stove again either. <laughs> so until you test whether the, uti the utility of a belief, you don't know whether it's still serving you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we develop those early in our lives. It, we do. And I'm thinking, um, listening to you, Carol, that this is reminding me of mindfulness. Right before we started recording this interview, we both talked about the fact that we are both involved in mindfulness. Myself as a certified mindfulness teacher and you, you've been studying it for, for years. Um, and it's the neuropathways. They often talk about the neuropathways and it's like you can actually see them in, in your brain. Yes. more of Dr. Carol Robin and her groundbreaking book, Connect, Building Exceptional Relationships with Family, Friends, and Colleagues, coming right up. It's the Inspiring Voice Podcast. And when you are creating new neuropathways, and this is what you're talking about, this is not easy work because this is the way you have been thinking forever. Right. This is right. the way you have been conditioned forever. Exactly. exactly. And that's the other thing that's hard about a book mm. because it's just you, unless you, you know, hopefully you do some of the stuff and engage other people. 
maybe you even buy a book for someone else and you do it together. Uh, the power of doing it. So on our book website, there's a free downloadable start your own learning group. Love it. Get a group of people together who are interested in doing this. And it's all it'll cost you each is a book, which you can get on Amazon these days for but meet every week for three months. And, um, you know, and uh, I recommend the hard copy because then you can keep going back to it, but whatever. Mm -hmm. And, and then just do it. It's in the immortal words of Nike. Just, just do it. Yes. There's also, by the way, a free assessment you can download, a self-assessment. And you can take your own self-assessment and then give it to a few people who know you really well and then compare what they think you're really particularly, what are your strengths and what are your areas you need to work on? I love that. And bingo, very often I have found through my coaching and my training that people, when they do that, they just realize, oh, that's why we're not getting along. It's not that we don't care for each other or oh. like each other. We're just different. Well, and I see me differently than the way you see me. Imagine, right? <laughs> well, maybe we should talk about that. How did you come to see me that way? Because I don't want to be seen that way. Mm. Or sometimes, wow, how did you come to see me that way? It's not the way I see me, but I like that you see me that way. <laughs> what is it that you see, right? So there's just endless amount of connection possible. Yeah, but talk about it. It's not rocket science. No. Although I have to tell you that years ago, I did a thing for a bunch of executives at NASA. And, and I said to them, come on, guys. They were all guys. It's not rocket science. And one of them says to me, oh, gosh, Carol, this is so much harder than rocket science. <laughs> right. You know, anybody who turned, uh, uh, coined the phrase soft skills, I'm like, yeah. you have They're to be hardest. kidding me. Yes. Yes. You know, we all bump into people who just won't go there. Yeah. They just won't go there. You know, they are who they are. They're not going to change. And frankly, this might be way too painful for them to change and to even dip their toe into. Mm -hmm. So if we have people listening today who are dealing with folks like that personally, professionally, because they're there, not everybody gets to take the course, read the book or, or whatever. What kind of recommendations would you have for them today? Well, I think the first thing I'd say is that it's much harder for some than others. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean it's impossible. Uh, so when it, our, our tendency is to think, oh, that person just won't go there. Mm -hmm. And it's true, maybe they won't. But let's allow for the possibility that it's just really hard for them to go there. Um, I love and, that because that's compassion and that's understanding exactly. let's that. Just start with, and let's start with curiosity. Mm. Huh. I wonder what it is about this that is... Uh, that turns them off or that's scary or who knows, who knows why they won't go there. Right. So I right. was curious. Um, second, you know, one of the key concepts in the, again, in the book is this 15% rule. So if the only thing you ever do and say is, so there's three zones of comfort, there's your comfort of, of there's three operating arenas. The zone of comfort is stuff you say and do that you never think twice about. That's the zone of comfort. So it's a circle in the middle. 
circle on the very outside is your zone is your zone of danger in a million years you would never say that and you would never do that uh, and you'd never engage that way then there's this zone in the middle it's called your learning zone yes. it's basic education theory by the way you don't ever learn something if you don't step outside your comfort zone right that's why when you go, learn to ski they don't leave you on a bunny slope but they also don't start you on a double black diamond. <laughs> and they also don't take you from the bunny slope to a double black diamond. So we used to tell our students, just think about stepping outside your comfort zone in service of learning and expanding mm. your growth and yourself and your ability to connect with more different kinds of people. By the way, it's very easy to connect with people that are just like you. Yeah. <laughs> Much harder to connect with people that are different than you. Right. So, right. They used to say, but, but Carol, the minute I'm outside my comfort zone, how do I know I'm not in my danger zone? So we came up with this 15% rule. Step a little bit outside your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Share something that's just a little bit out, a little bit outside. You'll know, you'll feel it. You'll feel it in your body. Mm -hmm. But it'll be so small that if it turns out to be not good, it's not catastrophic. The world won't end. The, you, know, you won't freak yourself out. You won't freak the other person out. And if it goes okay, so if you step 15% outside your comfort zone, maybe they'll step 15% outside theirs. And then pretty soon you're both got a slightly larger comfort zone. It gets redrawn once you've tested it and it works. I love this. And I'm thinking like your average leader, manager today, who might have, I don't know, 10 direct reports. How do you get to know them all? I mean, the ultimate goal is to be a wonderful mentor model for them right. as a leader. So all that rubs off on the next tier of leaders. And, you know, again, easier said than done. But I often remind people it starts with just what you're talking about, getting out of your comfort zone just a little bit right. to get to know them on a personal right. level, to right. begin to develop trust. And in my okay. opinion, that's the number one element that needs to flow through yourself and, yeah. and the other person. And that's why disclosure yeah. is, is, the, is the cornerstone of all this. Mm -hmm. Because especially if I'm in a higher power position as the leader or the manager, mm -hmm. and I expect you to share stuff with me when I've never shared anything with you, that only increases the power differential between us. So if I really want to invite you to allow yourself to be a little better known by me, then I better be prepared to allow you to let me to know me a little better. Okay, we're also talking leaders, managers, and you mentioned a little while ago providing feedback. We yes. must in all sorts of different directions. But before yes. that, how can we create an environment rich or a feedback um, rich environment? environment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you know, this goes for, you know, you mentioned this earlier. So it's this is both professional and personal determinants of success are your are, are interpersonal competencies mm. so usually we think about feedback at work it's just as important in any relationship and by the way i get as many calls and letters from students 10 years later 15 years later with the predictable i just became a ceo or i just founded my company i owe it all to you as i do i'm pretty sure your class just saved my marriage <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, right. And mm -hmm. and I just reconciled my relationship with my brother who I hadn't talked to for a year. Mm. And thank you. And now I'm getting, thank you for finally writing a book that I can actually give to people and to have sit them down and have them read a section. So 
Dis disclosure and feedback are the two cornerstones of function of robust relationships. Mm -hmm. If I'm doing something that is not working for you, you don't like it, or it's distancing, or it's annoying, or it's hurtful, and you don't tell me, then you're, I'm just going to keep doing it. Why would I not? And a lot of people say, ah, it's not worth it. And I always say, Substitute the pronoun it for I, you, or we. Are you worth it? Mm -hmm. I'm not worth it. You're not worth it. We're not worth it. Then ask mm -hmm. yourself again whether it's worth raising, especially mm -hmm. if it's small, which we call pinches. Now, when it comes to behavioral feedback, the other thing that is important to remember is that if it's in service of your relationship, yes, you're both better off. You're better off knowing. I'm better off telling you. Because when it comes to, and I'm going to talk about affirming feedback, which is stuff that you do that I love. Mm. That's also feedback. Mm -hmm. It's also good to give you. Uh, because then, you, you know, you know that there are things that you're doing that are, that really are helpful to our relationship. Mm -hmm. um, in both cases, there's a model, which is start with the behavior or the feeling. It needs to be when you insert behavior. I feel mm -hmm. insert feeling. When you respond within an hour, every time I send you a text, I feel so affirmed, mm. or I feel uh, grounded, or I, I trust you more, or whatever the feeling is, right? And when I don't hear from you for days and days after I've sent you something, I feel pull out the vocabulary, uncertain, uh, worried, uh, irritated, resentful. There's lots of them. Mm -hmm. Then, and I'm telling you this because, because the purpose of feedback, if it's constructive feedback, is to move us into a, pro a problem-solving conversation. Right. Because you know, I can't imagine that you're happy having me feeling resentful. You're probably not, that's probably not your intent. So let's talk about it. Uh, and, or I'm telling you this because it's such a great trait that I just, you know, I hope you know that this is something I so appreciate about you. Mm -hmm. So let me give you a quick example, an anecdote from a personal, it's a personal story. It's not even a manager. So when my son, I don't think this is in the book, when my son was going away to uh, to look at colleges, he was 16 and a half or something. He was a junior in high school. Um, he was going east. Because, of course, we live in the San Francisco Bay Area where some of the best universities in the world are situated. But no, he had to go east to look at universities. So his dad was going to take him. And he came in and he said, this is my son, Nick, who's now 34. He says, Mom, Mom, I can't go with Daddy on this trip. Please, please don't send me with Daddy. <laughs> I'm like, well, honey, either you go with daddy or you don't go because our spring breaks don't correspond. I'm like, but what, what's going on? He's like, oh my God, mom, you know, dad, he's going to drive me crazy. <laughs> he's going to be the energizer bunny at the front of every tour. He's, he's going to have a million questions. All the other kids are going to be like, oh my God, that poor kid. Can you imagine? <laughs> he's, he's like, I'm going to be so embarrassed. Please. Then we're going to get back to the car. He's going to pepper me with questions. Don't send me. I said, gee, Nick, it sounds like you've got feedback for your dad. Uh... At which point I get the teenage eye roll. How could I have not known that would be your answer? Says, well, will you tell him? I said, no, honey, we both mm -hmm. know that's not how feedback works. Mm -hmm. So that night 
I'm sitting next to him and he says, mom, and he says, dad, mom says, I have to tell you this. <laughs> Doesn't matter how you get into it. And Andy says, what Andy, my husband says, what is it? Nick? He's like, well, I really don't want to go on this trip. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm worried. I'm going to feel embarrassed. You're going to ask a million questions. It's going to irritate me. Uh, and so what were the first words out of Andy's mouth since he's my husband? What do you imagine were the first words out of his mouth? I hear you. Close. The first words were, thank you. Yes. Because when you've been given a piece of feedback, it's data. And mm -hmm. data is a gift. Mm -hmm. And the first thing you do when somebody gives you a gift is you thank them. Yes. So he said, wow, Nick, thank you. Thank you for caring enough about our relationship to tell me that. <sighs> and then he said, what shall we do about it? Because the purpose of constructive feedback is to move into problem solving. Mm -hmm. And so they decided... They, they would park, they would agree to meet back at the car. They could go their separate ways. If they joined the same tour, it didn't matter. Nobody would know they were related. Andy could still be the energizer bunny. The purpose isn't to change the other person. It's to move into problem solving. Mm -hmm. They went, it completely changed their relationship. Mm -hmm. And the bookend of that story is that Nick did go East, but when he came back West to go to a well-known business school at, at, at Palo Alto, California, <laughs> uh, called Andy and said, hey, dad, how about a road trip? Right. Help oh, oh. So the next time you or any of your readers are thinking, oh, I don't know. I don't know about this feedback thing. Just remember Nick and Andy. Right. I love, love, love that story. And both their lives and your life, like yeah. the whole Forever. family. Yeah. You know, I'm going to throw one out there, too. Yeah. Because often when I coach and train people, I remind them, like you mentioned, the relationship. Seek a win-win-win. Yeah. Win for you, yeah. win for them, and the third side. Like, what's the third side? Like, yeah. professionally, sometimes it's everybody in the department or the whole right. company. Right. Personally, it, the third side is often the relationship, the marriage, the family, whatever. So I was training somebody not long ago, a young man, about 30 years old, who hired me for professional purposes. But as you, as you mentioned, uh, you know, he was, once, once he starts learning, oh, yeah, this is going to help me at yeah, home yeah. as well, he laid this on the table. And that was the fact that he was very upset with his fiance because Sunday mornings, right? He was so excited to be with her Sunday mornings. They were living together. Yeah. They were planning to get married in a few, in a few months. Um, but when he woke up on Sunday mornings, he wanted that to be their time because they were so darn busy all week yeah. and even yeah. on Saturdays. But what did she do on Sunday mornings? She got on her text. She got on and she wasn't with him. And he right. felt, right? He felt um, unseen. He felt disconnected. Right. Disconnected. Right. Right. So I made a couple of recommendations in terms of how he should broach the challenging conversation, yeah. similar to yours, by yeah. the way, thank yeah. you very much. But he said, she's going to get defensive. She gets, she's going to fly off the handle. So, you know, I mentioned the third side the relationship. Right. If you mention win for you, win for her, win for the relationship. Yeah. If you go in using those words, it's going to be helpful. So he did. 
And he probably stumbled and bumbled through it because it was the first time he had ever done it. And he got the results he expected. Yay. Okay. She flew off the handle, went to bed mad. I say yay because so much learning in that. Exactly. But I also told him, I said, how important is that relationship to you? And frankly, if you're not married yet, you know, you're going to want someone who's, who sees you, hears you, values you, and wants to have a healthy relationship with tons of communication. Long story short, the next morning they woke up and Mm -hmm. she walked in. Mm-hmm. And and had a conversation with him and apologized to him. Yeah. And, you know, in a nutshell said, I hear you. Yeah. And thank you. And thank you for telling me how you feel. Because so, this is not what I want as we move yeah, into our marriage. Yeah, of course. And, you know, that's so that's such a great story because embedded in it also is, hey, maybe you're not ready to hear something from me right now. But maybe once you've had a chance to think about it, mm-hmm. uh, you might hear it differently or see it differently or feel differently about it. I always recommend including your intent really, really early. Like mm. the reason I'm telling you this is what I hope happens as a result of this conversation is, um, may, you know, before the, before the other person gets a chance to get too defensive. Oh, my goodness. Okay, describe an exceptional relationship, Carol. Uh And is an exceptional relationship, in its simplest terms, different professionally than it is personally? Or are there common traits? I think the same six basic characteristics are present. And, you know, those characteristics are, I feel more fully known by you, and you feel more fully known by me. Right. We trust that we won't use it against us. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. We are honest with each other, mm-hmm. which means that if you're doing something that's bothering me, I tell you. We handle conflict productively. And in fact, we might have a mental model of conflict as something that helps us deepen our relationship as opposed to something to avoid. And we're both dedicated to each other's learning and growth. So we can connect around the content and the ideas and the and the fact that we're kindred spirits and what we've decided to dedicate our lives to, mm-hmm. we can also connect around how we make each other feel. Most definitely. Last question. Yeah. Carol Robin. Yeah. So you have the book and you have the program and you have this life's work. And I know we're around the same age and I, you still, I, you probably like I feel like you're just beginning. You have a lot more work to do, right? <laughs> How do you, in the 2020s, stay healthy? How do you keep Carol Robin healthy? Body, mind, spirit, the whole package. I am an avid walker. I walk at least four or five miles a day. Mm -hmm. I work out at the gym several days a week. I meditate every single day, um, at least a half an hour, some days more. Uh, I do uh, I do at least one annual meditation retreat. Uh, I have a massage every other week. Ooh. I see my chiropractor every other week. Mm-hmm. When I look at my calendar, I make sure that there are plenty in different colors because I put in different colors, plenty of 
times when I am seeing people that I love and, uh, and just socializing. Um, and I also happen to be married to the world's best man and I eat really healthy. Ah, love it. Love it. So the whole package, I mean, that's a, it is a lot of work. You know, I often say healthy human connections start with healthy humans. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It's really been a pleasure. <laughs> it, um, it's been a wonderful pleasure. Uh, Carol Robin from Stanford University and co-author of the book, Connect, Building Exceptional, not just normal relationships, but exceptional relationships with family, friends, and colleagues. Thank you so much for doing the work, for making it easy for us to understand, and for making this your life's work. I so appreciate your time and your attention to all of it, Carol. Thank you. Dr. Carol Robin, author of Connect, Building Exceptional Relationships with Family, Friends, and Colleagues. You can connect with Carol at connectandrelate.com. Inspiring Voice is the media outlet of iVoice Communication. The Inspiring Voice podcast is produced by Nicholas Young, music by Jeffrey Blake, and I'm Donna Rastigian-Mack. iVoice Communication is a company that cultivates healthy human connections through effective communication courageous speakers, and successful interpersonal communicators. And please check out our six-week Strength in Leadership Communication Program for women. You can find it at slcwomen.com. Inspiring Voice. It's our hope that through a little bit of quiet every day, you can hear your own inspiring voice and be your own inspiring voice so you can build rich, rewarding lives and careers.